So, tip your, tip your hand up if you made a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to ask what it is or what it was. I'm just, just interested if anybody made a New Year's resolution this year. A few people did, a handful of people did. Excellent. Why do we, why do we make New Year's resolutions? Why is it something that we, that we do? I was having a look uh, this week to see what the history of New Year's resolutions was, and I was quite surprised to find out that actually it's a tradition that goes back to 4,000 years. Uh, the first kind of New Year's resolutions that have been recorded in history go back to a festival that was called Akiti, um, and it was a festival in ancient Babylonia, which we, we read about Babylonia in the Old Testament, don't we? I found it really interesting that these New Year's resolutions that the ancient Babylonians made were when they were crowning a new king or when they were affirming their allegiance to the king who was reigning. So this festival, this New Year festival that they had, they were either affirming allegiance to a new king or affirming allegiance to the king who was already reigning on the throne of Babylon. That's, I guess, not what your New Year's resolutions, those of you who made them this year, were about. I can't imagine you were, were kind of affirming allegiance to somebody who's sitting on a throne or something in your New Year's resolutions. Now, we think about maybe giving up chocolate or alcohol or nicotine or coffee or maybe exercising more or spending less time on social media or something that we think is going to help us in happiness and joy in our lives. There was a, another article I was reading about why it's good to make New Year's resolutions about intention and hope and engagement in life and responsibility and inspiration. But of course we know that our New Year's resolutions tend not to last that long. And they don't really bring us happiness and joy because eventually they fall out of the window. Don't they? But if we look back on that passage that we just read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, we see, don't we, we see the angels appear to the shepherds. And they bring news to the shepherds. And I want to concentrate this morning on that phrase that the angel says to the shepherds. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, as we think about New Year's resolutions and think about the happiness or the joy that they might try and bring into our lives, and we watch them just spiral away. The gift, the good news that this angel brings to the shepherds is a true joy, a true happiness that isn't going to fade, isn't going to tarnish, isn't going to get lost, isn't going to go away to waste and leave us disappointed. So why? Why is this message that the angel brings to the shepherd about a baby being born in a stable 
in a small town 2,000 years ago. News is going to bring joy into the lives of the shepherds. And I want to notice four things this morning as we think about why this is a message of great joy. It's joy because it's a message of promises kept. It's joy because it's a promise of peace with God. It's joy because it's a gift to the shepherd and I and you don't deserve it. And it's a joy in God revealed in Jesus on earth. So first of all, this message of joy is a joy in promises kept. If you can remember that part, it's been quite difficult to, uh, before the time of COVID, you might remember that we ran a session at kind of 10 to 10 in the morning. And it was based on, uh, based on some material that came from Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And we were going through the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, and doing some overviews of them. And if you remember, if you were there, the Old Testament was summarized in two words. Promises made. And the New Testament they summarized in another two words. Promises kept. And it's right at this birth that we see a lot of the promises of the Old Testament start to be kept. We start to see all these promises being kept that God has made. And I just want to think uh, briefly about three of the promises, because we could be here until next January, going through all the promises in the Old Testament that are fulfilled and kept in Jesus. But I'm just going to pick out three of them. The first one, from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, even as God is casting out Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden, there is a promise that he makes that we start to see being kept in this amazing news of this baby in the manger. I will put enmity between you, the snake, the serpent, who has brought sin into the world and is causing Adam and Eve to be thrown out of the garden. I will put enmity between you, God says, and the woman, and between your offspring and her, her offspring. Now listen. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even as God is casting out Adam and Eve from the garden, which looks like one of the worst days in history as you read through Genesis, there is a promise that there will be this snake crusher, this serpent crusher, who will destroy sin, will destroy death. And here's a baby in a manger. And we'll come back to see why this promise applies to him in a moment. The second promise I want to think about is right before David uh, prayed that prayer that we read at the beginning of the service. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body. 
and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's one of those great promises in the Old Testament where we see it immediately fulfilled in David's son, Solomon, who actually builds a physical temple, and God establishes his throne. But we also see fulfilled in this baby in the manger. Because Solomon's kingdom doesn't last forever. But we'll see that Jesus' kingdom shall. The final one of these promises that I want to just, just pull out and think about, one of the famous Christmas promises that we hear set to music at Christmas time so often. From Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And it really applies so well to this situation here, the baby being born in the manger, and the words of the angel speaks to the shepherd. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. So we could go on forever talking about these promises. We could look at Abraham in Genesis, we could look at Judah, we could look at some of the other prophets. But what does the angel say to the shepherds? Fear not, Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. The joy in the promises text is in the fact that this child as Isaiah promised, has been born in the city of David, continuing the line of David, as was promised in 2 Samuel, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. A saviour. So what do the people need saving from? Well, the shepherds might have immediately thought, well, we've been invaded by Rome. We're under occupation. There's soldiers around. Maybe we need saving from Rome, from the oppression of this nation that has come in and taken over ours. The way that Luke phrases it here, a saviour, it actually stands Jesus up at this point, at his birth, in direct opposition to a cult of worship that had grown up around Caesar. First of all, around Julius Caesar, and then around Augustus, who was the, the Roman emperor at the time of Jesus' birth. So we could go, well, it's, it's Rome that, that they need saving from. But remember that promise from Genesis chapter 3. There is more than just Rome. There is more than just political oppression that the shepherds need saving from. That I need saving from, and that you need saving from. It's their sin 
It's our turning away from God. That's what we need saving from. It's ourselves and the sin in us that we need saving from. But Jesus, the baby in the manger, is the saviour. And he is Christ, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one of God. And that anointing, that word anointing or anointed, points back again into the Old Testament. When Israel needed a king and needed to put a king on the throne, he was anointed. The king was anointed by a priest. Christ, the chosen one of God, the true king, establishing the kingdom forever. A saviour who is Christ the Lord. This Christ isn't just a king who has been chosen by God. This word Lord that Luke uses here is the word to God. This saviour, this king, is also God. This baby in the manger is God. A saviour who is Christ the Lord, who is God. For all the people, this message is for all the people, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Now here, that means all the people in Israel, most likely. So I'm afraid it's going to chop us out because we're not the people of Israel. But if you read on in Luke's gospel, we'll see that this is actually a message for us as well. Even if you only go on into the next chapter, uh, later in this, in this chapter, to verse 32, we'll see that Simeon in the temple calls Jesus a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to you and me, to the love of Jesus. And so we can see joy and promises kept because God's promises have been kept here in this baby. So that's all well and good for the shepherds, but what about for me and for you? Well, God has promised other things in the New Testament. He's promised us forgiveness from our sins, saving as the team that we need. He's promised us that if we follow Jesus, we can be forgiven. We will be forgiven for our sins. We will be saved. He's promised us that if we make Jesus the King, the Lord of our lives, at the end of time, there is a home in heaven for us where we can go and live with Jesus and praise and worship him forever. And we should have a joy in these promises kept because we see God's faithfulness at work. We see that God has kept his promises over thousands of years here. And we can then have hope. Not a wishful hope, but a trustful hope that God is going to keep his promises to us. And one of those promises, as we see joy and promises kept, is a joy in a promise of peace with God. Look at verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. 
Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 13 tells us that suddenly, there isn't just the one angel talking to the shepherds, there is a multitude, it says, in the ESV. There are a lot of them. And the word that Luke uses there is an army, a raid in their, in their columns. Maybe you've seen the film Gladiator or uh, Spartacus or one of these films that they kind of look at the Roman army and they all, they're all standing there at attention with their shields ready to draw their swords and they all do it with just perfect unity, ready to fight their enemies. That's the picture of a multitude of angels here. An army of angels. Poised for war. Poised to wage war on these poor shepherds who are standing on the hillside looking after their sheep who've just been disturbed by these angels appearing? No. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, the peace among those with whom he is pleased. This army of angels is regimented not for war, but for praise and for peace and for the purpose of God. The fact that this baby is the promised saviour brings us into peace with God. And the Jews had a slightly different concept of peace to that which, which we have. For them, peace is about harmony and wholeness and welfare and tranquility and completeness, not just an absence of conflict. That's the kind of peace that this message brings, this joy that we can find in Jesus brings. Peace, because we have gone into conflict with God, by sin, by placing ourselves first. And we were never in a position to be able to do anything about bringing that relationship back, about bringing that peace back. But here, this baby in the manger, this saviour, the message of the angels, here is joy that we can find in the promise of peace with God. The joy and promises text Joy in a promise of peace with God. Then the shepherds should have been able to find joy in a gift that they didn't deserve. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What have the shepherds done to deserve it? We've already said they couldn't do anything to bring back that relationship with God. But they did nothing to deserve this gift. What have we ever done to deserve the gift of Jesus? Nothing. There was never and would never be anything that any human could do to mend that relationship. There was a God do. He sent his son into the world. For whom? For those with whom he is pleased. For those on whom his favour rests. As it says, in the NIV. This is a gift of grace, not one we deserve, 
but one we have to reach out and take. This is a gift of grace. Now, grace is a word that we throw out there so often, isn't it, when we say it in passing. What does it mean? Well, Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, and he, he's put down just two sentences to explain it. There is nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. God in all his love for me, for you, to be shepherd, sent Jesus into the world. So that at the birth of Jesus, at the birth of the saving king, God's saving pleasure rests in peace on those who he has chosen in accordance with his good pleasure. So we see joy and promises kept. Joy in a peace with God. Joy in a gift we don't deserve. Joy in God reveals. Though Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, we said. So there he is, lying in a manger in a stable. There and then, God is present on earth. For the next 30 odd years, God is present, walking the earth as Jesus. In everything that Jesus did, in everything he said, there he is, God. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, Jesus, has made him known. Jesus the man, in his living, in everything he did on earth, makes God known. To those who were following him at the time, to those who were teaching at the time. And thanks for having the message today to you and to me. The four reasons the shepherds would have been able to find joy, great joy, in this message of the angels joy in promises kept, joy in a promise of peace with God, joy in a gift that they and we don't deserve. Joy in God revealed in Jesus on earth. Today, today is born in the city of David, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. I bring you good news. Today, for you. You see, maybe you made those New Year's resolutions to bring joy into your life, to bring some meaning into your life. But there's a 2020 study that looked at when our New Year's resolutions failed and failed. And it found that most of them last until February the 1st, 32 days into the New Year, and your New Year's resolutions might have let you down. Not this gift that Jesus, that is Jesus, the gift that God gave on our first Christmas time. It is a gift we have to reach out and take. 
We have to actively open the gift of Jesus and be involved with him and have a relationship with him. Just like if I'm going to be a good father, I can't just sit down and just watch everything that Megan and Becca do. I have to get involved. I have to be with them and spend time with them. The same with the gift of Jesus. We have to make the time. We have to take that gift and actively open it and do something with it. We can't just let it sit there on a shelf and be not important to us. Other gifts will fade and get put on the shelf. But that's not Jesus. And if you need to take the time this morning to unwrap that gift of Jesus, maybe just come and have a, have a chat with me afterwards. If you've never accepted Jesus as your saviour, as the king in your life, as your Lord, as God, there is no time like the present. And if you already have received Jesus, unwrap that gift, well, you know that not every day is a happy day. And this is where joy is different to happiness. Joy is about our spiritual well-being, our peace, our inner identity. Because we're still sinners, because we still turn away from God and from Jesus, there are days that are unhappy days because we still look to our jobs, to our families, to material things, to whatever it is for our hands. But we need to focus on our dream, our joy. And where's that to be found? In Jesus. No matter how our job is now. How we feel the people around us like now. How much we might want that thing in the shop It's not going to bring us happiness. Because eventually, in some way, it'll let us down. And so the more we identify with our joy and our spiritual well-being, our peace, our inner identity coming from Jesus, the more we find joy and happiness in our lives. So that we can sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage from from the Christmas story. We thank you for the fact that we can see your promises kept. We thank you that we can see your faithfulness in these words. We thank you for Jesus, our Saviour, our King, our Lord God. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's never put their faith in Jesus, never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, 
Do you just encourage them that now is the time to do that? And Lord, for those of us who have, Lord, I just pray that you would help us more and more this year, not as a resolution that will, will fade and pass, but through your power and through your spirit to find our, our, our joy in Jesus. Our peace with you in Jesus. And the peace in our hearts and lives in Jesus. That we find our well-being in Jesus. That it would give us a bridal joy to have that identity more and more set themselves.